tonight. Sad, sad, it's sad. Thank you, thank you. Please be seated. The reason why I wore them is because I wanted to be holy like Tark. <laughs> but when we were at um, the conference, he kept going on about um, J. John needed to get jeans with holes in them. So on behalf of J. John, he didn't have the courage, but I act in obedience to your request. And so here we are. It's probably the only time I'll wear them. But... Uh, it's great to be connected with you guys, and I was just thinking when you were talking about Christchurch, that Christchurch is a, a sister city to Adelaide. So we're a sister city, where I come from, so you can't leave me out of this world, because we're all connected together. But it's God's planet, and uh, I do believe, like you, that Christchurch is going to see some amazing things, and feel it every time I'm there, I really, really do, and so thank you for obeying God in what he's called you to do. You know, we can take our disappointments and we can make them God appointments. We really can. And, you know, three years now, as many of you know, in 216, our son went to heaven. And, you know, I wish I could say to you it gets easier, but I find it so hard. I miss him every day because every new thing that happens with his children, I don't get to, you know, he doesn't get to be part of that. Uh, You know, I, I shared at the conference, but for those of you that weren't there, Our eldest grandson has just turned 17. He's driving now, and I had to take him. I was actually in hospital, and they released me for a couple of hours to take him downtown to get his first suit to go to the high school um, sort of of end-of-the-year prom thing, you know? And as I'm getting him dressed, my mind goes back to when his dad was that age, when I did exactly the same with him, and he's got the same voice when I... I ring him on the phone. The answering machine is... The voice on the answering machine is exactly the same as his dad's and so I have to walk away and the tears flow and he sees it, comes and gives me a hug and, and it's just so, so difficult and yet when I was in hospital with then two years later my own cancer journey and I had my Bible sitting next to my bed, big Bible on my little uh, sort of little table where they bring the food and the nurses would ask me about my story, and I would tell the whole story right back to 2.16, and they would say, how can you still believe in that? They would point at the Bible and say, how can you still believe in that? And you know, every time I spoke about living from eternity, and that this is not the final resting place, you know what one nurse said to me? She said to me, you know, I can believe that. Because right now, my life really sucks. That's what she said. I'm not trying to be crude with a word, but that's what she said. My brother, 40 years of age, died of cancer. And when you tell me everything's going to be better down here all the time, I don't know if I can hang on to that. But when you tell me there is a better place, there is a place we can all go to, she goes, I can hang on to that. And I want to tell you, we've got to tell people about eternity. We've got to prepare people for eternity. And You know, for me, the Bible has never just been a sermon material book. It's been my sustenance. And I could take you to Scripture after Scripture, then when life doesn't make sense, what God gives me from His Word does carry me. And so when I was in hospital, and there's so many Scriptures, but let me just give you one, uh, you know, and it's in the book of James, chapter 1. Many of you know it says, This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, James was already totally surrendered. 
Sometimes we read scriptures and you go, well, I can't do that. That's because we're not totally surrendered. He's writing this letter and he's saying, hey, listen, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I've already laid my life down. Now, if you follow my instructions after this, you're going to be okay. And he says this, I'm writing this to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings, faith and endurance. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Really? Great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you see, all of us in this room have to keep developing our endurance. We're not all at the same level of endurance. And so our endurance needs to be fully developed you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say tonight, very honestly, without any exaggeration, I never thought I would come to a place in my life where God and me was enough. You see, as we started going through the losing of a son and then cancer and then earlier on the brokenness of our son Michael, which uh, was a, a devastating time in our lives. I may share a little bit more a, a little bit later about that. But, you know, when we're going through all this stuff, you know, there's things that I used to not handle back then, I thought, that now are a breeze. Because wow. it's amazing your endurance has a chance to grow. And when your endurance has things that used to bother me, I've got to be honest, I am a little bit OCD, you know, a, a scratch on my car, you know, and I, would, oh, I wouldn't sleep. Who scratched my car? Now, who cares who scratches my car? What happened? My endurance has been developed and you get to a place where you don't need anything. And I got to a place, and this is really amazing, guys. I got to a place where... I'm, maybe it's an insecurity in me, but I don't like people to dislike me. Maybe it's an Italian thing. I want, I want everybody to be my cousin, you know? Uh, I want to be in relationship with everybody. And so when people turned away from Sharon and I, when our son broke down, people on staff, people around us walked away. It devastated me. But through this journey of not wasting my disappointments and making them God appointments... I got to a place where I'm in hospital 20 minutes after being told I've got cancer and told by the doctor there's no guarantee we're going to come through this. They called my wife in and talked to her about life support because I had 24 blood transfusions. And so they wondered if I would react to those blood transfusions and go into cardiac arrest. And, 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 and so, um, you know, we're having this conversation. Wow. And only a few minutes after that, Something of a peace of God came over my life where I said, God, it doesn't matter as long as you and I are okay. If this means it's my time to come home, I'm okay. But I don't want to go, Lord. I want to stay. I've got more work to do. I've got more people to reach. But you know what, God? It doesn't matter who comes into my life. It doesn't matter whether I get ever invited to preach anywhere. If I've got you and it's just you and me, I am fully complete. I don't need anything. So for 12 months, I never got to preach on a, behind a pulpit. But every day, God gave me a platform. 
as I've shared before, God gave me a platform every day and realised the moment I was in need of nothing, the people that I'd had conflict with 15 years ago are all back in my life right now. They've all come knocking on the door wanting restoration. My relatives all restored again. And, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. Because when Michael hit the wall, the newspapers lied so much about our family. And for 12 days on our doorstep, day after day, we would stay in our pyjamas until late at night, until the media would leave our house, media from all over the world, so I can go and do late night shopping for our family. I'd have to ring my other kids that lived in the area and go, shut your doors, the media are on their way to your house. On front page of the uh, major newspaper in our city, they had a picture of me behind a podium like this. Then they took a wide-angle lens picture of our house, which I paid $320,000 for, and made it look like a palace. Then they took the price of all our church buildings. So they don't belong to me, they belong to Edge Church. And they took what we owned as you know, buildings for the church and put on the front page of the Adelaide Sunday Mail, $17 million pastor, and made it look like it was actually my money. So there I am behind a, a pulpit like this, and then this big wide house, because our house is uh, wide, but it wasn't long, so they did a wide-angle lens picture. And then they got me preaching, $17 million pastor, and I hadn't done anything wrong, but it was because of what my son had done. And, now, and he didn't even live in Adelaide. And now it was literally two weeks of front page, second page, third page, even the wedding photos of my son's wedding. And just story after story after story. They tried to find Christians that didn't like me so they could quote them in the paper. And you've got to realize, what do you do with that kind of disappointment? Because you know what happened? All my Catholic relatives that don't understand Pentecostalism and churches like ours. You know, they go to high steeple, few people churches where the only thing growing is the ivy up the sides. And so, you know, they don't understand our kind of church. And they got the newspaper, one of my uncles, and started visiting all the relatives. This is where the money goes. And they believed everything in the newspaper and none of it was true. It was all fake news. But they believed that and I lost my relationship with my relatives for a long period of time. That only lived a few streets away from me, but would drive down my street. And if I was out the front of the house, they'd turn the other way and drive on. For someone who likes to be connected, that was a pretty big disconnection. My cousins, who are not Christians, would go to school, their kids would, and the name Guglamucci would come up and go, are you related to the guy in the newspaper? So my relatives hated even carrying our name, yet none of it was true. But I made a decision way back then that I couldn't change that, but I wasn't going to get bitter. I was going to get better and I was going to stay close to Jesus. But since then getting cancer all these years later, I get to this passage of scripture, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is an, as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. 
the wisdom in this passage is in the context of what we're going through in our trials. We're talking about trials. It's not just wisdom for everything, and that's available. But in this context, it says when you go through stuff, don't waste your pain. Ask God for wisdom, and don't be double-minded. Because if you're trusting the world, and then you're trying to trust God, you'll have double-mindedness, and you will become unstable in all your ways. I don't want to be rude tonight, but, you know, people die every day. About 157,000 people a day. And yet I know people that go to church and their mother dies or their dad dies, they don't go to church anymore. Where was God when my mother died? Well, last time I checked, we're all going to die. So when's it ever going to be right? When are you going to decide when it's right or wrong? Is it better for a 40-year-old to die and go to heaven or an 80-year-old to die and go to hell? Come on. I mean, let's look at it from eternity. And so what happens is we become, even as churchians, we become unstable in all our ways because where was God when my mother died? My mother right now has dementia so bad. She's so unwell. She doesn't know that my son passed away. Now, if I was double-minded, I'd be saying, why didn't God take my mother instead of my son? But God didn't take my son. It wasn't God that took him, but it was his time and God allowed it to happen. But, you know, uh, he loved Jesus. And I'll tell you what, he went and I don't have to lay in bed at night worrying about where he is. I know he's in eternity with Jesus. And so I don't want to waste my disappointment. In 1463, the authorities of the Cathedral of Florence, Italy, purchased a huge 16 foot tall piece of white marble. They commissioned a sculptor from Siena to carve a figure that would be displayed prominently. The marble was so faulty, though, that the sculptor, so, so the sculptor abandoned the task. This is too faulty, I can't work with it. The marble was placed in a warehouse where it remained for almost 40 years before a 26-year-old prodigy, Michael Angelo, was asked if he could make the abandoned and mutilated marble into anything significant. He said he could. Four years later, the masterpiece statue of David was unveiled. Michelangelo had transformed the worthless and discarded marble into something majestic. Michelangelo is quoted as saying, I saw the angel inside the marble and carved until I set him free. God sees the potential and beauty in each one of us. And even through the toughest of times, he wants to turn true destiny out of our disappointments. He wants to set the angel within us free. And I believe that tonight, even though I'm still having health issues, I've never been freer. I feel so free in Jesus. I carry pain, but I carry the pleasure that God's with me. You know, you live with contrast, but my faith is not based on what he does. My faith is based on who he is. And because of who he is... I can handle anything that comes my way. Disappointments are part of everyday life. From the moment we wake up, we are confronted with the potential for disappointment. Stay in bed, you might be okay, but get out of bed. And uh, you know, what was it years ago they used to say, say good morning, Lord, rather than good Lord morning, you know? And so, you know, um, sometimes we are disappointed with ourselves. Sometimes we're disappointed with others. Sometimes we are disappointed with circumstances, and sometimes we're disappointed with God. I read a book by um, Craig Rochelle, it's called The Christian Atheist, and it's amazing how many people go to church every day, but don't really, or every week, 
but don't really believe that God is interested in them or at work in them. And they won't vocalize it. They won't say, I'm not sure if hell exists. I'm not sure if God really does watch over me. And, and so they, they keep it inside, but it's like a Christian atheism. But I thank God for praying churches that are going to knock churchianity out of people in a godly way and see the church arise and become all that it's called to be. Disappointments come by the choices we make. And, you know, we're making hundreds of choices every day. What we're going to eat, where we're going to go, who we're going to ring, who we're going to reach out to. And we're just lining ourselves. The more we get known, the more we get involved in things, the more you get involved in church, the more you set yourself up for potential disappointment. I think my greatest disappointment, or one of them, probably not the greatest, not really, but when I was 11, my dad and I used to go and do gardening for a very wealthy doctor. He was a surgeon. And he was quite elderly. He was in his late 80s, never had children, him and his wife. And they lived in a very ritzy suburb in Adelaide. And we used to ride our bikes every Saturday morning, my dad and I, to go and do the gardening. And they would pay us for the gardening. One day, the, the guy comes out, the doctor comes out. And he says to me, Danny, I want to talk to you. He said, I, I've, I don't have children of my own. I never had children of our own. And, uh, you know, I want to give you a gift. And he brings out this mahogany box. It was like dark brown mahogany with a felt lining on the inside. And it was a brass microscope. And it was brought out to Australia by one of his, either his dad or his granddad. I can't remember the, the, the connection there of age, but was brought out on a sailing ship. One of the first microscopes to be brought to Australia. It was made of brass. It was in this beautiful mahogany box. And he goes, I want to give you this but I didn't even know what it was. Here's something of great treasure. And I had no understanding of what that treasure was all about. You know, I put some sour sobs underneath the glass thing and looked in and some rocks and looked through the microscope and played with it for a while. And then one day, we were having a marble competition at school, playing marbles. And gee, those marbles were nice. Beautiful color, you know, and we were doing marbles. And so I swapped my microscope for a bag of marbles <laughs> with a friend of mine and I thought I got the good deal. The marbles looked much nicer and easier to play with than that microscope until one day I realised what it was worth. I mean, if I had it now, I could pay a mortgage off with it. It could be in a museum. And I gave it to my best man who later became my best man, not at 11. He wasn't my best man at 11, but later on, to his brother. And so one day when I realized the value, I went to Jerry and I said, Jerry, do you want to do a swap again? <laughs> he goes, oh, I mucked around with it for a while and I chucked it out. Oh. Chucked it out. I swapped something of incredible value for a bag of marbles. Do you know there's a world out there in New Zealand right now, there's a people out there in New Zealand that are pushing back the greatest treasure they could own to know a God who has a purpose for their life and they're playing with marbles with all the stuff the world's got to offer them and it's not going to satisfy them even though those marbles look nice for a while. Give up treasure for something of such little value. That wasn't a good day. That wasn't a good choice. And so during my time of potentially being disappointed. One of the toughest things is when you go through the toughest times and some of your Christian friends don't know what to do with you. And the silence of some of that. 
Pastor Tark, thank you for ringing me regularly while I've been sick. It's amazing. You know what? Last week, and this is not nya nya tell you, told you so, but last week I started to ring some of the people I hadn't heard from for such a long time. And as I rang them, you could feel they were embarrassed because they'd never made contact while I was sick. And I'm not asking you to make contact, but you know, where there's genuine friendship, you know, it doesn't stop when you're not preaching anymore. It doesn't stop when you're not of value to a gig. You know, come and speak at this conference. Now that you're sick, you're not of value to us. We're not even going to call you. And the apologies that came, like, sorry, we're so sorry. We didn't know what to say. We'll just ring and say hi. But you know what I mean? You see that kind of stuff and you can turn disappointments into God appointments or you can get really, really angry. But also by me reacting a little bit like that also shows some of my insecurities. And so I've got to deal with my insecurities. I haven't arrived yet. My endurance has to keep growing. So I have need of nothing. And so it pops up its head every now and then. And so while I was unwell, I started to think of Joseph. You will read his story in Genesis 37. And because of time, we won't read the story. But, you know, it's an interesting story because at 17 years of age, he starts to be a little bit of a sort of proudful young man, but he's only 17. And part of the problem was his father, Jacob, who thought he was the favourite son. Now, there's a problem in the home when a father has one favourite kid. Uh, you're going you're gonna to mess that kid up emotionally a little bit. And he makes him a coat because he was his favourite son. And he, he didn't like the other sons because he didn't like the mother of those other sons. And he preferred the wife that he had that gave birth to Joseph. And so there's this uh, picking and choosing in the family. And he's 17 years old and he starts having dreams that he's going to be better and bigger than his brother's. And he tells them, now that's not going to be a good day at the office. When you tell your brothers, I had a dream, and you know, my world's going to be bigger than yours. And my world is cooking with gas. I'm going to be better than you. One day you're going to bow to me. And then he tells his father as well. And when his father gets brought in, he gets upset. How dare you tell me that your mother and I and your brothers are going to bow before you. And so it wasn't a good start. And yet he was a young man with incredible potential and he really loved God. And we see that he goes on a journey from a pit to Potiphar's house to a prison. And guess what? The palace. A lot of people want the palace, but they don't want the pit. They don't want the Potiphar's house and they don't want the prison. So I asked God while I was preparing this, what does the pit represent to me? His brothers sold him into slavery. They were going to kill him. They threw him in a pit and then later sold him into slavery and so he got delivered from the pit. But what does the pit speak to me about? The pit can represent the place where we become victims of other people's scheming. When people lie about us, their plans for our demise, the covering up of truth. When my son hit the wall, there was a man who came to me who was working with us and he said, Danny, you're the angelos of this church and you're the one that needs to go and have a break and come back and leave the church. I, I believed he was telling me the truth. And then he went and saw great national leaders like Brian Houston and others and went and spoke to them and said, oh, I believe God's brought me here to take over the church. See, people will judge by what's inside of them, not by what's inside of you. Because I've never tried to hang on to the church. If God wants me to hand it over, of course I'll hand it over. Because my definition of success is obedience, not hanging on to things. But you're judged by other people's scheming. And so here's Joseph. He's been thrown into a pit because of other people's scheming. And sometimes we go through disappointments because 
I was saying to Pastor Tart just chatting the other day or last night, I can't remember, and that is the very things you value are the very things the devil gets people to attack in you. See, to me, financial uh, security in the church, not, not security, uh, integrity. Financial integrity in the church is so important. I've never signed a check in my life because I want the church to know that for me, it's never about money. I've never asked for a pay rise. The board makes those decisions. When I used to travel, I used to hand everything back to the church because I just did not ever want it to be about monetary things. I wanted to just be privileged to serve God. So then where do you get attacked? In that area. In integrity with my family, where family meant everything to me. And I get attacked when my son hits the wall. Sin in the father, sin in the son. And so you get attacked by other people scheming. But in Genesis 39 verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph and he succeeded in all that he did. So he goes from the pit and he ends up in Potiphar's house where at Potiphar's house, Mrs. Potiphar tries to seduce him. Potiphar's house is the pressure of temptation. Now we all get tempted and it's not always sexual. We get tempted with money, we get tempted with prestige or with titles. And here he is, he gets thrown in a pit and he survives the pit. Then he ends up in Potiphar's house and there's the pressure of temptation. And you know, the Bible says in verse 10 of chapter 39 of Genesis, it says, day after day, Potiphar's wife put pressure on Joseph. You know, the devil doesn't just come once. He's a day after day when Jesus was in the wilderness and the devil left him. He said he left at him until another time so he could attack him again. And as Christian, there is the temptation. When I had my cancer and then I had a bowel operation in 17 and my son dies in 216, you know, the pressure on me just to retire. It was like, well, everybody's going to understand everybody's going to know that he's suffered enough and he needs a break and he's getting to the retirement age and no one's going to... It nearly sounded like it was God. The alternative offer seems so right. But see, there's no retirement in God. There's only refinement in God. And I realise that no matter what, if I've preached that he's God all through all seasons and I now in this season give up, what testimony am I going to live leave to my grandchildren where I now have a grandson who wants to be a youth pastor and finish the work that his dead father started let me tell you that wouldn't be happening if his grandpa was running off sometimes we've got to obey for other people's benefit it's not just about Danny it's about all the other people waiting on the other side of my obedience and so right there in part of his house the real story seems to get lost in the lie Do you know, I am shocked at people over the years that have left our church because they didn't think we had integrity and gone and joined a church that I was counselling the pastor because of lack of integrity. (laughs) I mean, honestly, now I can't tell people that because I'm counselling that pastor. And you think, you've left what you thought wasn't integrous because of a brokenness inside of you you don't want to admit. The people that have written letters about tithing and giving are the people that have a problem with giving. Do you know when that woman went into that room and poured the perfume over Jesus? There was another stink in the room. You know, Judas brought another smell and it wasn't Calvin Klein. (laughs) It was the smell of pride and and, and a, a love of money. And so there's more than one smell. I do a message called, what aroma do you bring to the house of God? And we have an aroma that we bring without opening our mouth. My uncle used to say to me all the time, Danny, you stink of very nice. 
he's trying to say, you smell nice. He goes, you stink of any nice. And when we come to church, we can stink of any nice. Or we can let everybody around us know that something's not right. And right, what happened here is the fake news about what supposedly Joseph did in Potiphar's house um, was more believable than the truth. And sometimes we've got to pass that disappointment. We've got to pass the test that people believe a lie rather than the truth. And I've lived with that for years, but I, I'm old enough now to see it turn around. I'm old enough to see that God doesn't vindicate my truth. He vindicates his truth. I've always said there's four sides to every story. If Pastor Tark and I have got an issue, there's my side of the story, there's his side of the story, then there's everybody else's opinion. And then there's the truth. And as Christians, we should all aim to find the truth, not everybody's opinion. And so, but then on top of that, he gets thrown into prison. In chapter 39, verse 20, I'm moving on, and he's thrown into prison. And I said, God, what does that speak to me about? He said, the place of unfairness, the place of restriction, the place of separation, and the place of inactivity. What is it when God gives you a dream and then everything seems to go in the opposite direction? Someone said to me once, Pastor Danny, is tongues the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? I said, no. And they go, well, what is? I said, trouble. (laughs) When you make a decision to follow God, it's amazing what goes at you. Let me tell you, can I say this as a warning in Jesus? Church Unlimited, the devil hates a praying church. Guard your gossip, guard the house, pray for your leaders, because if you are going to call a nation to its knees, the devil doesn't like it. He doesn't mind happy clappy if that's all we do. He doesn't mind if we just keep it within these four walls. But let me tell you, there are times when a dream has been placed in your heart that really was given to you by God and you find yourself in a place of unfairness, restriction, separation, inactivity, a place of isolation, the loss of reputation and the temptation to give up. And you know what blows me away? In Genesis 40, verse 8, now this really freaks me out, there is a cupbearer and a baker in the prison with Joseph and they have dreams. So did Joseph had a dream. And you know what he did? He interpreted other people's dreams when he couldn't interpret his own. You are a leader. When you can interpret other people's dreams and you don't even know what's going on in your life. When Sharon and I first got married, we had such major marriage problems because I'm Italian, she's Australian, she's one of ten, I'm an only child. I don't know how to do life with siblings. And so, you know, there was all these things that showed up in our marriage which we didn't know how to handle. I would shout and scream, you know. When we first got married, I talked and she listened. Five minutes after we got married, she talked, I listened. Now we've been married 40 years, we both talk and the neighbours listen. No, no. (laughs) And people were coming to us for marriage counselling. And you think, flipping Nora, how am I going to give you marriage counselling when I can't sort out my own? And it wasn't that I was hiding my problem. It's just I was going through a season I didn't know what was, how to do it, how to deal with it. And yet God still gave us the grace to help others. I remember getting up in church and talking about my anger problem and that I used to have such an anger. I used to throw shampoo bottles around because what happened was I, I didn't have a good English language and I would say to Sharon, come on, we're running late, let's go. And she'd go, oh, just drop on your head, you'll be fine. Because I want to turn up on time for everything. 
And so I'd throw something and I'd get angry and a major temper problem. And I would get up in church and go, church, I'm still trying to work this thing out. But I can tell you the truth. This is what God can do and I'm believing it for me. Well, 44 years later, we're still married. As I told you the first time I came, for our 45th, I'm taking her to Italy. And for our 50th, I'm going to go and get her back. But anyway, (laughs) we won't talk about that. There you go. You are a Christian that is in need of nothing when you can interpret other people's needs or dreams when you can't interpret your own because you know the God who can interpret all dreams in the end. And so goes from the pit to Potiphar's house to the prison, but he ends up in the palace of rulership and influence and dominion. If you don't waste your disappointments you will maximise what you learn from it and you'll be in need of nothing. And you know what I have been in this last season of 12 months, a testimony to the unchurched is not the healing from cancer, but my journey through it. And you know, um, Peter Niuta, who I read the letter at the conference of Peter's uh, relationship with me, who's not a Christian yet, and, uh, and uh, he's got cancer. And he comes to my house and says to me, teach me how to pray. And I read his prayer at the uh, conference that we had recently of how to ask the Lord to help our wives that look after us. Well, the other day, his wife turned 50 and he rings me on the phone and he goes, hey, Danny, can you pray a blessing over my wife? In the car, I'm in Coffs Harbour, somewhere in New South Wales. He's, He's somewhere else on holidays. And he goes, can you pray a blessing? We get together quite regularly. And it's not the fact that I'm totally out of the woods. It's not the fact that he may, the fact is he may still pass away. But he said to me, something's happened. And what's happened is eternity has come to visit. And eternity's come to his home. And he's taking his disappointment of his cancer and he's giving purpose to it. He hasn't even been to church yet except once. And I want to tell you, friends, if we take our disappointments and make them God appointments, there's an anointing that comes with that that gives hope to people that no matter what happens in life, I have another life outside of this one. God is with me no matter what happens. And if I stay alive, I'll be in the palace of influence. How does a cupbearer who Joseph interprets his dream and then says, you're going to, Joseph says, when you get out of here, you're going to be a help to the king and, 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 and this is going to happen and that's going to happen and it happens. But the guy forgets Joseph for two years. Joseph says, when you get out of prison, can you tell him about me? And the guy gets an answer to the prayer that Joseph prayed but forgets him for two years until one day Pharaoh has a dream and the guy says, I know someone. I know someone that can help you with this. And you, know, you know, there is a, a suddenly in a one day If you handle your disappointments properly, there comes a suddenly. And there comes a one day where breakthrough comes and you go, how did that happen? Even now, just trying to get my head around that I'm standing here preaching where not that long ago I was told I might not live. It's like, how did that happen? How did we get here? But there comes a one day and there comes a suddenly. And guess what? Now, this is not literal, but you know, Joseph had to shave his face. You see, when God finally breaks through into your miracle... You know, your face changes. Your countenance changes. We have to see your smile. So we've got to get rid of anything on your face that removes, you know, the ability to see your smile and then get your prison clothes off 
and get dressed. You know, we as Christians can walk around with prison clothes on of you know, disappointment, discouragement. Why me? How come I've been locked away in this pain for so long? But there comes a one day and there comes a suddenly because you don't stay in the pit. You don't stay you know, in Potiphar's house of temptation. You don't stay in the prison. You end up in the palace of influence where God wants you to be. I will finish with this. I, I have another section of the lessons I've learned through my pain, but that's maybe for another time. But when I started Edge Church in 1994, this is what God said to me, and I've never forgotten it. When you start off to do something in life, in business, serving God, whatever, God places a dream in your heart and your mind. Do you know as long as it stays there, the devil doesn't care? But the minute that thing that has been placed in your heart is proclaimed from your lips, the devil now knows what to attack. See, he knows what to attack because the devil's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. We tell him things so he knows what to attack. And so what happens is we proclaim we're going to change New Zealand and beyond. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And the devil goes, oh, is that what they're going to do? And so what happens is you go from a place of dreaming to a place of proclaiming and then you get persecuted. Most Christians don't know how to handle this, but persecution is part of the journey. And you get persecuted and when you get persecuted, you've got to pass tests. You've got to pass tests. Why am I doing this? What's the why behind my what? Am I doing it for me to make a name for myself or am I doing it because I love Jesus Christ? I'm going to give him my life. When you pass the test, you then persevere. And then you possess the promise. Do you know how many pastors and leaders and people have given up just before the breakthrough? Just before the miracle, they gave up. And Father, I pray tonight in this amazing house that Lord, corporately over this vision, I pray, Father, as they go into the next and the next level of anointing that you're calling this church to operate in, That, Lord, as this platform begins to proclaim, that, Lord, as we proclaim it and the enemy tries to persecute it, that our eyes will be open and our ears will be open. We won't be afraid of the persecution. We'll acknowledge it, but we will pass whatever test. Because, Lord, whatever we can't take to the next level, you've got to clear it out of us. And, Father, you clean us every time. There's things I no longer take into this season of my life. The scratching of the car doesn't matter. The model car that I drive doesn't matter. The suburb that I live in doesn't matter anymore. Whether I'm wearing the latest gear doesn't matter. I'll wear holy jeans if I have to, with holes in them because I can't afford... No, no, no. no. I will pass the test. I will persevere. And I will possess the promise in Jesus' name. And devil... Come on, give God praise. Can we bow our heads in prayer right now? There are people in this room, I'm going to be very quick, but people in this room, and it's a bit like the devil has tried to give you the marbles to take away the real treasure of God from your life. And uh, I was praying this afternoon, and I felt there's someone here that is struggling with a relationship issue I don't think you're married. I think what's happening is you're friends with someone who doesn't know Jesus and you're really attracted to them and you're wondering about starting a relationship 
And I was praying this afternoon, and God loves you that much that he said to me, just whoever that is needs to understand, don't choose the marbles over the treasure. Don't choose something that looks good now that could cause you great pain. But what it is, is you've been worn out like Potiphar's wife, who just day after day after day kept presenting herself to Joseph to test your, to tempt you in your purity. And God, if we could have every head bowed, every eye closed, and God tonight says, if you will let go of this situation, you won't be disappointed. You will find a new appointment with God that will prepare you for a greater relationship and the best will be ahead of you. And so if that's you, while every hand's bowed, I'd like you to slip up your hand. I want to pray for you tonight in this place that God will give you the courage to make the call that you have to make in this season. Could you just lift it up so I can see it and then you can put it down again and I'll pray for you. Yes, thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Heavenly Father, I pray for our family here tonight, dear people. And Father, we don't judge people. And when we're tempted with these things, it's a tough thing. But Father, I pray that your grace will come and that these folk won't turn this appointment that's wrong into a disappointment. But Lord, take the time to make the right decision and have a God appointment so they'll end up in the palace of influence and not in the pit or the prison of restriction. I pray in Jesus' name. Right now, just before I hand over to Pastor Tark, as time has gone, if you're in this room and the last 12 months can be characterized by lots of disappointment, all I'm going to ask you to do is stand to your feet. Because I'm going to pray that what God's helped me do, I want it to happen for you. I want you to come out of disappointment tonight and come into a place of fresh appointment with him. And I'm not going to get you to come forward. We don't have the time. But I believe that even as you stand and acknowledge, I've been in disappointment and I want to lay it down. What I felt God say to me this afternoon is for you to stand and I wasn't thinking standing at the time, but putting your hands out in front of you and say, God, I give you my disappointment. I hand it over to you and I don't take it back. And I want an appointment with you. And I promise you that the rest of 219 is going to be breakthrough year for you. And I want to pray that over you before I hand over to Pastor Tark. So please stand to your feet if that's been your situation. Thank you for being such a great family. And you know, I respect you all standing. Wow, wow, wow. You see, I was praying at home about what to preach tonight. And now I know why. And see, that's what I love about Jesus. That he has an appointment with you through the voice of somebody else. Father, right now. And you know, if you are sitting next to someone that's standing, why don't you put a hand on a shoulder right now? Father, I pray for our family here tonight. I'm so sorry, Lord, that people have had to go through these disappointments, but Father, we won't waste them. And Father, my heart tonight is that something, as everybody standing lays those disappointments at your feet, hand them over back to you, that Father will be like a weight lifted off of people's shoulders. Father, will you do what you did for me and make these people in need of nothing? Bring them to a place where endurance will grow. Father, increase tenacity, but not a gritting of the teeth tenacity, but a joyous embracing. My God is with me. No enemy can come against me and I will come through. I won't stay in the pit. I won't stay in the prison. I won't stay in Potiphar's house of temptation, but I will rise to be in the palace of my destiny in Jesus' name. Father, I pray right now, pour out your Holy Spirit. Oh God, pour out your Holy Spirit. Just as we sing, if the musicians can start singing in the worship right now, why don't you hand it over to God and let's see a breakthrough in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's worship together.